This is the Unmuted Podcast by Mosaic, hosted by Bella Passi. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Unmuted Podcast. I'm your host, Bella Passi. Unmuted is a podcast where we host conversations on pressing issues in today's society, including things like social protest, Black Lives Matter, COVID, and reconciliation. We will host interviews with a diverse group of students from the PLNU community. Unmuted focuses on topics that may be considered hard to talk about, but show that by having the conversation, we can start the change that is needed in these times. For today's conversation, we will be discussing interracial relationships and what it means to understand one another. With me, I have two guests, Sam Kwapong and Carissa Kwapong. We're so excited to have Sam and Carissa here with us today as they share their experience in an interracial marriage and what it means for them to create a future together. Hey guys, welcome. Oh, I'm so excited. It's been such a long time, I feel like. It's only been a couple of months, but we are back on Unmuted. Um, Today, I have some great guests with us. Um, So before we start... Do you guys want to intro yourself, give a little bit your name, sure. who you are, what you're about, all that great stuff? Yeah, you would go first. All right. Uh, my name is Carissa. I am Samuel's wife and mother of his children. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, I grew up in Colorado, uh, spent the first 13 years in kind of a suburban out. Clave. <laughs> and uh, and then when I was 13, we moved to the mountains. And then I moved to L.A. for school, um, for college. And that's where I met Sam. Cool. Hi, I, I'm Sam. Um, I am the director for the Multicultural and International Student Services here at Point Loma and Azarine University. Uh, I actually, uh, I oversee all the programming for all of our minority students and all of our international students. And um, I guess my number one role is being Carissa's husband. Um, and I am the father of her kids. And uh, a little bit about me. I was born and raised in Ghana, West Africa. I lived there for 17 years uh, in a small town in the eastern region, then moved to Ashanti region. And then... Um, yeah, they just moved to the U.S., did my bachelor's in Connecticut, and then moved to L.A., where I met my wife um, at a, a, a school that, you know, Point Loma uh, have a bit of rival with, which is Azusa Pacific University. So, yeah, <laughs> um, that's a little bit about me. So. Awesome. And for reference, Sam is the director of the office that puts on this podcast a.k.a. my boss. <laughs> so we're excited for this episode. <laughs> awesome. So this is an episode that I'm excited to do. It's our first one back this semester. Um, and it's kind of fitting because we're doing it in February, which is, you know, Valentine's Day is in that month. Um, and we're going to be talking about interracial relationships and kind of breaking down just the ins and outs of it, um, getting into both the really fun parts about it as well as the really hard parts about it. Um, and you guys, I'm so excited to talk to you about that. But before we start diving into that, I kind of, you know, want to give a little bit of historical context to set the scene of what interracial means, how 
and what the history is behind it to lead us now, you know, to the point we are today. So the U.S. Census Bureau Bureau, uh, uses five categories to define race. One, white, two, black or African-American, three, American Indian or Alaska Native, four, Native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islander, and five, Asian. So according to the Census Bureau, Hispanics, an ethnic group, can be of any race in terms of interracial marriage or interracial marriage falls under the larger the larger category of intermarriage, which encompasses interracial, intercultural, interethnic, and interfaith unions. Each refers to the marriage between individuals or a different subgroup. So interracial marriage in the United States has been legal throughout the United States since at least 1967 U.S. Supreme Court decision Loving v. Virginia, which was held uh, that held that anti oh miscegenation laws were unconstitutional. The one thing about this podcast and the historical thing is I get exposed so much for not knowing how to pronounce <laughs> words every time. It's, okay. I butcher it. Um, a U.S. Census Bureau 2008 American Community Survey shows that more than a quarter of white men, so 26.9%, married an Asian woman and about 6.9% married a black woman. In contrast, 20.1% of white women married a black man, while just 9.4% married an Asian man. Hmm. A slightly higher proportion of white women than, me, uh, than white men married a Hispanic person, 51% versus 46 And a similar share each, uh, of each gender married someone in the other group. So that's just a very broad, you know, kind of when um, interracial marriage became even legalized in this country, as well as, you know, rough percentages of what, where we see um, interracial marriages like most uh, prevalent between races and things like that. Mm. So we're going to go a little bit more into that later on, but I kind of want to talk to you guys first. Um, but can you kind of, you know, for our listeners to provide some context, um, briefly Describe what it was like to grow up in your home, um, especially as it pertains to your race or ethnicity, um, beliefs, values, and socioeconomic status, all of those things that, you know, are super foundational in shaping who we are. Um, Yeah. Cool. I'll let my wife go first. Okay. Um, So growing up, I guess, uh, I always think, I think I viewed our family, um, talking about more socioeconomic as being kind of general middle class. I was aware of, um, you know, people that had less than we had, and I was very aware of people that had more than we had. Um, You know, my parents were always really conscientious about how we spent, and so um, in my mind growing up when I was younger, you know, of course I thought that meant that we didn't have much to spend, Uh, but then more I matured, I guess I realized, you know, how much we actually had, and um, especially compared to a lot of people. Uh, You know, when I think about, when I look back, and I guess I didn't really look back about my childhood or what it was like growing up in Colorado, uh, much until I met Samuel, but well, and a little before that, cause I'm a sociology major for my undergrad. So I started getting exposed to, you know, my whiteness, uh, in some of my sociology classes and what white privilege is and, um, 
I guess it wasn't as surprising to me as I think it was for some of my classmates, only because I think my parents did a really good job with me growing up uh, to see outside of myself and to be compassionate for others. And, you know, um, my dad had gone on a missions trip to Haiti at one point. Um, so I was exposed, you know, to like, there are other races than white and, you know, that, you know, we're as, at least as Christians called to love everyone equally. Uh, but that was kind of the extent of it, I guess, for me growing up. Um, it wasn't until I met Samuel that I think it, I really started recognizing how much of a bubble I lived in growing up as far as uh, being exposed to other races. Uh, Colorado, at least at that time, where I grew up was predominantly white and predominantly middle class as far as where I grew up. So um, really the idea of, you know, being in a relationship with, you know, someone outside of my own race just wasn't, it wasn't not or, you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't frowned upon, but it wasn't encouraged. It wasn't, it just was nothing, you know, it was just, it just wasn't a, a thing uh, until Samuel and I met. And then, it, you know, that's when the conversation really, I think, started yeah. of what that looks like. So. Yeah, it, it you know, kind of preparing for this, kind of looked back and looked at, um, start thinking about my childhood, my childhood, my upbringing. And uh, it's very interesting because I grew up a little bit different, obviously, than how Carissa was raised. I was raised in eastern region in Ghana, Africa, in a very small village on top of a mountain. So I guess the mountain part is, is the similarities. Um, whenever I traveled to her home in Colorado, I, I never felt any different. It was really interesting how her mom would be like, you need to drink more water. It's so different on top of the mountain. I'm like, uh, yeah, I live 17 years on top of the mountain. I'm pretty, I'm pretty good with that. But um, socioeconomically, my dad was a pastor. My mom was a school teacher. So we didn't really have money growing up. Um, I mean, there were many nights of going to bed with no food. Uh, there were many, many times being kicked out of school for not paying school fees. Um, you know, it was it was a pretty grand, a pretty rough uh, upbringing. Um, but my parents' message through it all was. It doesn't matter how much money you have in a bank. This is how we're going to raise you to be, you know. And and being a being a pastor's kid, I was raised with the word of God. So being raised with the word of God, you always understood that this is not how your life will always be. So, the, so you grew up with the hope that things will get better. I remember growing up in our living room, there is a list of things we're praying for, a bigger place to live, not necessarily our own home, but a bigger place to live, a car, a TV, you know, something that is like a necessity now that I'm in America and, and realizing that. So that's how I kind of grew grew up, you know, with, with the hope that life will get better. Um, as far as race goes, I knew of white people because they came over for missionary work. Uh, and, and it was always like, wow like a white person over there. Like it was, it was, it was, it was interesting to see. Um, and they would come with, you know, all their nice clothes and, and 
And it was interesting. It, it was kind of like uh, a dream that one day I can talk to a white person type thing because we always felt that they were in a different league than us. And there were a lot of their cultures we didn't understand. And, and then they would come to us and they would, they're happy to learn our culture. And we're like, why are you trying to learn our culture? We're trying to get out of here, you know. Um, but I remember once we had a preacher come to our country and, and was crying in the pulpit. And he was saying he's been misled and miseducated about, quote unquote, his people. He was an African-American guy. And, um, and, and he was like, this is not the Africa that I was taught back in America. And so that's kind of where I started like, what are they teaching them in America about us? Like what, what really is going on? So he kind of talked about, um, he's being taught, you know, with tribe, tribe, tribal men living bushes and, you know, all of that nonsense, so to speak. So, so he was coming to Africa thinking he was going to come meet some primitive people and he meets my dad who's wearing a suit and playing a keyboard and he's like wait you know how to use technology and my dad goes well yeah I have a college degree you know like that type of thing so it was it was just very interesting to kind of learn that and for me um it was it, it was interesting I, I I never thought when I was in Ghana that I would ever end up with a white woman and then I came to America and you know, certain circumstances kind of geared my, my circle of friends to be more predominantly white. So that got my education into the white culture very early on. And so the people I was exposed to were those white people. And, and so, yeah, most of my girlfriends, actually all of my girlfriends have all been different races than me. And, and I think all but one has been white. And the other one who wasn't white was Puerto Rican. So um, it's just, yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I was raised. You know, first of all, value the faith, put your faith in God. And then for race, you know that you're not alone and you, do the, you educate yourself on what the other is like, what the other the unfamiliar is like, so. Um, thank you for that. I think it is, like, it's it's cool to see, obviously, all the differences that you guys share in terms of geographically, um, how you grew up, all those different aspects of it, but to also see the similarities you share in how you were taught to love other people and view the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is something that is significant in this conversation as well as just all the conversations we have in this podcast and in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, So I want to ask you then, you know, I want to fast forward a little bit and then kind of talk about when you first met each other. Um, If you can kind of, you know, tell me what was your initial impression and describe maybe that first meeting briefly, Sam. Um, (laughs) No, Sam and I will have such long conversations. So, but we have, we only have like 60 minutes of recording we can do on here. Um, But yeah, just describe, you know, what was your first impression or kind of what was going through your head when you first met each other? Yeah. um, So if we're to be honest, and I think I don't want to offend anybody out there, but the very first time I met her, I was like, she's good looking. Right. Um, She's a, 
good-looking woman, <laughs> and I like to get to know her. Um, we actually met through a friend, and you know, I think everyone, anyone that knows me, know the story of how we met, of how she climbed through my balcony and all that, you know. Um, but it was. Not a creeper. Not a creeper. No, no, she was. Yeah, out of context. Very out of context. And catch me on campus and I'll definitely tell you the story. But um, my first impression was, you know, um, first off, you know, another kind of tidbit of the information. I hired her to be my, like, uh, our our sort of our, our cleaning lady. My roommate and I were young professionals, and we needed. We both worked, and we needed someone. And she was, she was someone who needed uh, a job over the summer. So we're like, sure, you can maybe three times a week can come in and do some laundry, or whatever. So I, I got to spend a lot of time around her and and have conversations with her, and it's just. Like you said earlier, the similarities of wow, she's deep. She was she's not just beauty, she's beauty and brains. And I'm like, all right, like that's a good combination. And and every conversation was like, tell me more, tell me more. So and then I found she's a sociologist major and she understood some of the racial inequities in this in the society. And so like I think I guess outside physical attraction, I think it was just her heart and her beauty, and she has such an amazing heart. Uh, and 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 for me, it went beyond the fact that she was white. You know, it just went like, she's such a good human being uh, that I think I can, I think you got something here. So for me, that was my first impression of her. I don't think the, the color of her skin was a big factor. In, into it, it just her humanity and, like you said, the physical attraction. So, mm-hmm. um, I think I remember being smitten over s- similarly when we would have conversations. I remember thinking there's there's a drive and a passion about Samuel that is it's intriguing and it's motivating and it kind of pulls you in. Uh, we would have conversations bouncing off ideas from each other or, you know, if we would disagree about something, it wasn't uh, an automatic like, oh, I guess this is this is it. Like, you know, it was it was it was like a tell me more about that because I, I'm intrigued by you. And I and I, yeah, and I, I I've never thought of it that way. And and I want to know more about that, um, both spiritually and just everything. Um, so I remember talking to, you know, friends that would say like, oh, you know, why do you like this guy or whatever? Um, and not only, I mean, like you said, physical attraction aside, I mean, I thought he had a great smile and there's so many things about him. You know, I thought he was just, if I smile. <laughs> he, you know, I joke a lot about like, I, I like my man, like I like my coffee and my chocolate, you know, it's gotta be dark. It's gotta be strong. <laughs> uh, but it was, it was the hours that we would spend having conversations that would go deep and also challenge me. You know, I think at that point in my life, it was refreshing to be able to have conversations that, uh, that I felt like I came out of it a better person or a, 
more matured person or I would grow my understanding, uh, which was exciting for me. Um, you know, especially as a sociology major, you read a lot in context in your books or whatever. Um, and you have a lot of conversations with people in your class. Uh, but not very often would I get to outside of that, you know, Mm, definitely. Um, so like, I guess when you, after, you know, you guys meet and things like that. And then you're getting more serious. And then naturally, you know, you have conversations of like, okay, what does our future look like together? How do we start planning that? All of those things. As you guys, you know, entered into kind of that next level um, of your relationship, did you, either of you individually, um, you know, have concerns or hesitations um, when planning your future together more so um, due to the differences between you guys. Um, and when I'm saying differences, like differences pertaining to like your backgrounds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think I remember being a little bit rocked when we started talking more deeply about these these types of issues because you know, for me, coming from my white privileged mindset, there almost wasn't anything to consider. You know, it was just like, I love him. I want to marry him. We're going to have babies. Great. You know? Um, oh, cute. Yeah. Oh, man. I was so excited for that. I'm like, swirl babies. You know, got a little vanilla and chocolate. Um, but... Then, you know, Samuel is normally the one who would who would bring things up to to consider, like even just um, where we were going to live was was a huge one that we were talking about earlier. Um, You know, we I think it was when we were dating or when we were engaged, we found out about a church uh, that was somewhere in the South um, that would not marry interracial Mm -hmm. couples. And. Part of me was so frustrated by that and also so confused because I'm like, what century are we in? You know, and then the other part of me was like, well, let's move there and change this. And, you know, (laughs) trying to get that. I don't know. Maybe it was the sociology in me like (laughs) bursting out. But, you know, there's just this big mix of, you know, emotions and and I'm getting all you know, angst about it. And Sam is like, this is not new for me. Like, this is not surprising. And then when he's saying that, I'm still getting rocked. Like, how is this? This is outrage, you know? And he, he's like, yeah, this is life. Mm. Like, this is, this is not new. And um, even, you know, we would go on walks together sometimes at night. And, and this is, you know, in the same time when we're, you know, realizing there's still churches to this day that don't allow or wouldn't bless that, our marriage. And, you know, we're going on a walk and I start noticing his demeanor when we, when other people pass by, you know, putting his hood down or taking his hand out of his pockets, um, not going up to, to a boutique store that's closed and looking in the window like I am, you know, because I'm like, oh, look at this (laughs) furniture in there. I want to go there when it's open. And he's like, I'm not doing that. It's going to look like I'm scoping the place out, you know, Um, just things like that, where it's like all of a sudden I'm seeing this whole other world that I knew nothing about. And um, I knew my privilege, like I said, from textbook, but I didn't know it 
as much from experience. Yeah. Uh, and then thinking about what that's going to look like for our children and, you know, uh, again, I thought, yeah, we're just gonna we're gonna have mixed babies, and they're gonna be beautiful. And you know, Sam's thinking like, our children are gonna be known as black, so we have to, yeah, you know, wherever we live or whatever, we're gonna have to grow them up knowing certain certain things. Yeah, yeah, it, it's 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 very. It was something that was weighing on my heart quite a lot, um, and it. In the beginning, yes, it was, well, she's not the first white person I've dated. But as it got serious and, you know, for those of you who've been in a relationship, as you, you first said, yeah, I love yous, and you begin to be like, wait a minute, there's something here. We might be spending the rest of our lives together and, and then realizing how that will look like. Uh, like you said, I work in higher education, so... Um, I basically go where there is a job and to be able to look at a map and say, I'm going to cut all of these places out. And not necessarily because they wouldn't bless an interracial marriage, but also the fact that the KKK are still active in a lot of these states and um, they're not very happy. The mixing of blood, so to speak. And so it's also the safety issue. You know, safety of my, my my wife, and I don't want anyone dragging her out and, and, and doing something bad to her, and the safety of my kids, yeah, above all else, too. So definitely that that was kind of like a big thing that I like I, I struggled with, and, you know, and, and, and I remember, and also, if, if true to be told, there was still, you know, like you said, her white privilege mind, right? There was one thing about studying the books and one thing about living it out. So I was like, is she ready for this journey? Right, because I remember we've had conversations before. Um, it was a long time ago, and she, she said something. We were talking about finances, and she said something about, and I, I joke, I'm like, well, you're from a rich family, you know, and, and for me, anyone who had more than I did was rich, right? So she's like, oh, well, my parents were, my parents had enough because we saved, right? And I, I was like, okay, don't say that ever again to people who didn't have one because the intonation is my parents didn't have it because they didn't save. And that's not the, that's not why my parents don't have it. My parents don't have it because it, they get it and it goes away to bills, right? So they didn't even have a chance to save. So we, so kind of getting through those type of conversations and saying, all right, we need to work on this together. You know, how does this look like? And I remember when we first got married and um, we moved to New Jersey. We're in New Jersey and we're looking for a place to live. And I, we had the money, you know, I was blessed that when I was single, I was putting a lot of my money away. So when we moved to New Jersey and I didn't have a job, we have a pretty good amount of money that we can pay for rent. And they wouldn't rent us an apartment. And uh, I remember her, like, her crying. And, and my family and I were like, yeah, we know why they, they denied us, you know, apartment. But it was new to her. It was you know, just not something she's used to. And so it, it's just like all of those little, little things coming together. But like you said, being from a Christian home, it always came down to what is a hope? Who do we put our hope in? Who do we put our trust in? And we put our hope and our trust in God, you know, and and that was great. And that was good enough for us. But we also didn't want to do things blindly. Right. We didn't want to go into a situation where 
um, we were just saying, I put my faith in God, and I know these people hate black people, so we're going to live there just to show them that, you know, black people and white people can live together, because God would be like, and you're going to die, because you've been an idiot, <laughs> right? But, um, yeah, so those, those were definitely things that were on my mind of how are we going to live our life and how are we going to stay safe, you know? And that's part of the reason that makes living in California and places like New Jersey or East Coast or wherever, places where it's more Mm -hmm. liberal-minded, it's always good for us because at least we know we accept it in a community. Mm -hmm. Um, It's funny, too, because I feel like, I mean, any healthy relationship, you know, Part of that is like all hard work and having hard conversations and being intentional with one another. But it feels like with when you have an interracial relationship or just like a very, you know, culturally different relationship with somebody else, the level of intentionality in terms of having to kind of have all of those conversations and not only like be able to have the conversations, but also kind of translate with one another, like, okay, what I'm saying is this, but mm-hmm. I, now I'm understanding you're interpreting it as mm-hmm. this and stuff, um, which is like so exhausting sometimes <laughs> to have those, but it's so necessary in yeah. terms of like the long-term, you know, goals of your relationship mm-hmm. and stuff. But um, I think a lot of people can take that for granted when they're not mm-hmm. in a position like that at all. Um, and also what you said even about, because I think obviously um, interracial relationships, they're a lot more normalized obviously now than they were, but it's partially because like we don't live in it, but it's still in a lot of parts, like you said, it's not normalized at all. And there's a lot of people who are like very strongly against it and stuff. Mm. Um, And I want to go a little bit into that, though, with the social views of kind of how people, you know, see it. Um, So it says most Americans say they approve of racial or ethnic intermarriage, not just in the abstract, but in their own families. More than six in 10 say it would be fine with them if a family member told them that they were going to marry someone from any of the three major race ethnic groups other than their own. More than uh, more than a third of adults, 35%, said they have a family member who is married to someone of a different race. Blacks say this is at higher say this at higher rates than whites do. Younger adults at higher rates than older adults, and Westerners at higher rates than people living in other regions of the country. Um, which isn't surprising. Just hearing all of these things. Um, An article from the 2018 census says marriage looks a lot different today in many ways than in the years past as our nation becomes more racially and ethnically diverse. So are married couples. The percentage, the percentage of married couple households that are interracial or interethnic grew across the United States from 7.4 to 10.2% from 2000 to 2012, 2016. This change varied across the states and counties and for specific interracial, interethnic combinations. So it's becoming a lot more common. Yeah. Um, in our multiracial episode, I mean, I think we talked about, I don't know, like 2042 or something the year, like the whole world basically mm-hmm. was going to be multiracial, yeah. meaning, you know. 20, I think 2050 or something. Yeah, something like that. Like that. So it's... Um, the idea of it is not necessarily new, but still I think the perception that people have of yeah. it is still mm-hmm. always like um, new to people mm-hmm. at times. Um, so I want to ask you guys then, after being in a relationship with your partner, 
Um, and you've kind of, Chris, already like alluded to this and stuff, but if you guys can kind of go like a little bit more into maybe examples of how you've seen this, like how did your perception regarding race or culture and money like change at all? And like you guys have talked about this, but maybe give an example of like a practical thing hmm. um, that you saw happen. I can, I, I think I have an example. It's, um, I think the, I think the finance part, we, we've kind of, kind of beat that. Down. One of the one of the key differences for me, being in a relationship with a white woman, is I'm a I'm a proud African man, and I am not telling my problems to anyone. So when we first got married, and you know, she kind of brought out the idea, well, I can just do marriage counseling. I'm like, I'm not talking to any stranger about my marriage because that's not how I was raised, and and you know, and the idea of mental health. Um, in the in the African community, it's so it's such a, a strange and foreign concept um, that we are we are not ready to share and to talk about our problems and our feelings, so to speak. So it's one of the things that my perception about that changes change quite often. Um, I think um, I'm all for like talking to a professional about your needs and your problems you're going through. Um, I think that's a really, but for me, when I look back, that's one of the biggest perception that I have come to kind of embrace that it's not weakness mm. if to talk to a professional when you need help. And it's something that I wouldn't have done. I don't think I would have done it. If, say, I married a Ghanaian or something, not that it's a bad thing or anything, but I feel like we both have the same kind of cultural mindset and and not get into that. But, you know, she showed me that that's okay to be able to talk to someone because that person's not going to stand in the street and share all your information mm-hmm. about it. So that was one of the perceptions for me. Um, it also, for me, it also helped me with my career choices uh, I work in diversity and inclusion now, and many times I seek to understand the other. I seek to understand the unfamiliar because I have, I'm married to someone who's different than me. So it's, I'm constantly trying to study and work and, and learn. So I read a book, White Wide Awake, or The White Fragility, and you know, my friends are like, but that, was, that book was written for white people. And I'm like, yeah, I'm married to one. I need to understand what her mental, uh, where she's at, trying to understand racial inequities, you know. So I, like, I try to make sure that I stay up on it. And, and I always say this, my kids are half white, you know, and that's a part that they need to learn too. So, um, you know, to, I, I need to educate myself to be able to do that. So this relationship really kind of helped change the way I look at the world in general, in a sense that, guess what? There's a lot of things that you didn't think was great, but now, you know, you've seen sort of the light because your wife has shown you that this is okay to do. So mm-hmm. for me, that's, that's, it was a big kind of educational moment for me. And with that, I don't know how to answer mm-hmm. your question. Um, I think something that I think keeps coming up in my mind and even that I still am trying to figure out to this day is uh, I get 
sometimes I'm not sure if a difference between us is cultural or personality or, you know, you can't always pinpoint it. Even, even though, you know, we lived in New Jersey for about a year and a half. And during that time, I think I was pretty inundated in his culture as much as I could be not being in Ghana. You know, most of the people that attended the church that we went to that his dad's a pastor of are from, not all from Ghana, but probably mostly from Western Africa. Um, And so I I got a good, you know, and we were there quite often and uh, around his family quite often. And so I got a pretty good idea as to, you know, what sort of things seemed across the board cultural versus maybe what things were specific to him in his personality or just his family unit. But I still think that I'm, you know, I still sometimes wonder or have to ask him and, you know, come to him pretty humbly of like, you know, I don't know if this is a cultural thing or, you know, or if it's just how you are, but I'm wondering this and this and this or whatever it is. Um, But I think one of the things that I that kind of rocked me the most when we first moved out there. In some ways, I think I went through a little bit of a cultural shock just going from mostly knowing what life was like for me and, you know, in California and my college life and my singleness. And then when we were in a relationship in California, you know, there was a little bit of mixing of like understanding his culture and everything, but it was still in general kind of just... Not not much. I didn't get a, a good feel for it. And then we moved there and it was just like, bam, you're in it, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, things like going to his church, a lot of times, if I weren't around, I could hear a lot of people speaking in their language. And that was super new for me, you know, um, to be able not to know what someone's talking about when you walk in on a conversation or want to join in on a conversation, um, not being able to just pick it up with them, you know, and, uh, or, you know, just how, how they worship was different. I came from, you know, it wasn't necessarily like quote unquote frozen chosen church. It was a little bit, well, maybe in Colorado, (laughs) but you know, the church I was going to in California, they, they were a little more, you know, you know, raise your hands and all this stuff, but it wasn't anything like what I experienced with, uh, Samuel at his church. And I, it was so intriguing and it was encouraging and it was awesome and it was on fire. But I also found myself like nervous at times, not sure what to do. Like, do I act like they're acting so that I can fit in? But also, obviously, I don't fit in because I'm the only white person here. <laughs> you know, obviously, I don't speak the language, you know. So what what is my part? What do I do? And and again, like, I don't know. Some of that's cultural. Some of it's personality. Like, my personality maybe isn't necessarily the strongest. Like, I'm just going to be me and it's going to be cool. Um, I want to fit in. I'm a people pleaser. So, you know, trying to understand what is how do I do that when I don't fit in, you know, and then how do I find commonalities? Like we all here love Jesus, you know, at his church. And so, you know, that's a commonality. And, you know, just, I just realized how much, um, how much of a connection I find when I can find similarities and realizing there's that, that it's okay if there aren't that many similarities, there can still be friendship. There can still be, you know, you don't have to necessarily 
identify with the other in order to love them or in order to build a relationship with them. But it's definitely harder, (laughs) you know? Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I also really liked what you said about being able to like try to understand what is due to like cultural differences and what's just due to like personality differences Mm -hmm. and stuff because that's also so relevant in relationships (laughs) too. Yeah. Um, I want to kind of go back to what I was prefacing with um, kids Um, and I want to talk first a little bit about what, you know, multiracial kids looks like due to interracial marriages, um, in the country. So because of an increase in interracial marriages, there are more, uh, children of biracial multiracial identities. The number of babies born of mixed race has grown 26 times faster than any other group. During the 2000 census, nearly 6.8 million individuals considered themselves to be of two or more races. This trend is expected to continue increasing over the coming years. Nearly two-thirds of all people who reported more than one race live in just 10 states, with California, New York, and Texas accounting for 40% of this population. So, you two have two beautiful children. They're super cute. Um, And obviously, they're mixed race. Um, so do you guys as parents and you're navigating, you know, parenting with them, do you believe parenting looks different in an interracial relationship as compared to, um, a same race marriage? Um, I would say definitely in some ways and definitely not in other ways. Uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about how, especially for Ian being our older and being a man, a boy, (laughs) he's a boy, um, what life will look like for him growing up, you know, at least currently with certain tensions, you know, um, in the world. Uh, but you know, I, it's interesting for, for, at least for me, um, I, I, I worry sometimes about uh, our kids losing out on some of the culture that, that mm-hmm. Sam got to grow up with because um, it's not just that they're mixed with black and white. You know, they're not African-American mixed with, <clears throat> sorry, African-American mm-hmm. mixed with white. They're African mm-hmm. mixed with white. And I, especially being away from his family for most of their lives, um, I... I, I worry about that. You know, like I don't speak his language. Uh, I want to, and I tried really hard for a couple months to learn at least some phrases, but learning another language is it's hard. Like, it is so it hard. Is hard and it is not my forte. Um, but I, it's still kind of in the back of my mind as a goal because, you know, I would love to be able to teach our kids that. And I have, I feel like I'm almost racing against time when it comes to certain things like what they may or may not grow up with, uh, that I would love for them to, to not let go of, or, you know, I would love for them to grow up knowing the language. I don't want it to, you know, quote unquote, die with our kids, you know, cause if our kids don't learn it, then their kids aren't going to learn it. And then, you know, so on and so forth. Um, or, you know, a, a myriad of other cultural things, not just the language. You know, we try to do what we can as far as we love to do little dance parties at night to 
all sorts of music. I mean, from like the whitest of white, you know, <laughs> to like the Cuban slide to, you know, music that he grew up with, Afrobeats, High Life, you know, all that. So we try to mix it up and our kids love it, you know. <laughs> It's a little sad because they'll say, can we listen to daddy's music <laughs> when they when they mean, yeah. you know, listening to African music? And I'm like, you know, I like it, too, yeah. <laughs> you know, just because, you know, so they get they always get kind of surprised when I put it on randomly. They're like, wait, it's daddy's music. <laughs> I can like it, too, you know. Um, but, you know, and then Samuel is a fantastic cook when it comes to anything really, but he, he makes African dishes sometimes. And that's another thing that I'm, I would love to learn, but I learn differently than, than, you know, I I need a, I need a recipe (laughs) and he is not all about the recipe. Um, excuses, excuses, but, um, yeah, so it's, you know, it's these sorts of things are, are really kind of a, in in a constant stress in the back of my mind of like, I don't want, Samuel to have married a white woman and then for everything that he grew up with to end there. You know, I would, and I, and I guess, I don't know if this is an unpopular thing to say, but I guess in some ways I understand why there are people that, you know, would say from either, you know, an African side or, you know, any race, why they would say like, I don't want my race to mix with your race. I can see maybe some of the anxiety from that being, I don't want our culture to die with, Mm. with you, you know, or I don't want my background to, to end here. And I, especially being aware of my whiteness, I don't want that to dominate what our kids grow up with, you know? Um, so yeah, it's a constant, you know, trying to, trying to raise our kids with that in mind, it, you know, it's kind of just an added thing to raising kids. There's a lot that's still normal. (laughs) It's still the same. It doesn't matter what race you are. Um, but there is that, that added, you know, that addedness to it. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, you're right. There's something that are just the same. You know, this morning was a hard morning for us at home where we had to get our, our seven years old out of bed and go to school and he was not having any of it. And that's nothing to do with black or white. I just had to be do with a, a seven year old boy who's tired of mm-hmm. Or anyone Zoom meeting. Tired. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what he kept saying. I am tired. We were like, get out of bed. I'm tired too. I'm up. But I think for me, uh, like, like Carissa said, yes. First, I think the first and foremost thing is, is to acknowledge the reality of it, that being interracial marriage is not easy, first of all. The marriage itself, relationship itself is hard. But when you mix two different personalities, different cultures, different nationalities, right, together, that's even make it even even worse. So, you know, acknowledging that that's hard. And 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 for us, the the conversation at home about being a black man in America or being a black person in America, the conversation at home looks a lot different than it would be if it was like two black people or two white people, right? Uh, I remember last year during MLK, you know, I got home, my, my wife was like, yeah, your kids asked me a question, I wish you were home for it. And that question was, because she was trying to explain what happened to Dr. Ken, mm-hmm. 
And, you know, I think it was my son, or my, one of them said, are you like that to daddy? Like, are you a white? Daddy is black. Are you mean to daddy? Because, you know, and these are questions that a little kid will ask. And, and then this year, um, my daughter asked me, did I suffer the same way Dr. King suffered? You know, and, and, and to kind of have this conversation at home, you know, uh, my son came home one day crying. Uh, my, my dear son is one of the most kind hearted sweet, gentle boy. So, and he, he wants to be friends with everyone. I think he takes up for his mom on that. And someone told him, I can't be friends with you because you look Mexican, but you're not Mexican, you know? And so he comes home crying, like, why am I not Mexican? You know, and we have to be like, okay, well, you're not Mexican because, you know, this thing, this and that. And, and, and to kind of have those type of conversation um, is a lot, Different. I wouldn't say harder, but a lot different than what it would be for two black, uh, two black people in the, in the same relationship to have that conversation. So uh, definitely the, the diversity, the racial conversations is very different. We also live in California where um, California decreed that the race of a child is taken after the father. So that came into sharp. Uh, focus when our son is on a spectrum and we're trying to get them to do an IQ test. I know like we can't do an IQ test on a black boy because it's against the law in California. And so then I'm like, how about we put on his form that he's white because his mom is white. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, can't do that either because California only recognizes the father's race and, and which was, which not recognized, but as a child, they, you take your father's race. Mm. So it, it's, it's just little things like that and having those conversations around that, I think is what makes it a little harder to be in an interracial, um, interracial relationship raising, raising those kids. But I think there's also fun things where you just have fun. You know, my kids would be like, daddy is black, or the mommy is yellow, and we are grayish. And, and it was just like... <laughs> Like, what color do you think you are? We are grayish, you know, so. Because <laughs> well, they were learning when you mix different colors, yeah. Yeah. paints or whatever. Normally, when you would add black to white, it becomes gray. Becomes gray. They're so, not wrong. So they see themselves as gray. Yeah, which, by the way, is my favorite color, is gray. So, you know, it, so, yeah, so that's, that. I mean, there, there are many different things in raising a kid in this environment, you know, by raising a, a, a multiracial child. And also, I think we as parents, uh, we read up, we read, we read and we research and we're trying to find knowledge on how to raise this. I, I have friends who are from uh, multi, multiracial homes and I, and I speak with them, you know, uh, my, my boss gave me a book, The Color of Water, um, I think it's by, um, I think it's Eric Dyson um, that wrote it. And it's just a really good book uh, about a boy who was raised by a white mom. You know, um, I mean, our, our, our former president, Obama, you know, has book on that, you know, Dreams of My Father. And to come from that background and, and to know in the back of your head, we call our kids multiracial, but to know in the back of your head that the world will never call them multiracial. And I always say Obama is not known as our first multiracial president, mm -hmm. right? He's known as our first black president and that's his identity for the rest of his life. So knowing that a white woman 
for from for the eternity your kids are gonna be called black and so in a way thinking maybe your whiteness is gonna die <laughs> you know with your child and and also trying to kind of say okay well you know let's let's do something for mommy's culture too <laughs> you know to to make you learn and and to make you learn that mommy's culture is not inherently bad mm-hmm. right not all white people are racist not all white people are bad you know uh, there are some white people who are not racist but they don't, they don't understand their privilege so let's talk about what white privilege is and how do you expose that to a white person gently and humbly um but when someone doesn't know their privilege it doesn't necessarily mean they're racist mm. so it's also hard to be like yes the people back in the day were mean to dr martin luther king and some people right now are being mean to you know george floyd and and jacob and uh, all these other people and brianna taylor but not every white person is like that. An example of that is mommy and grandpa and grandma and your uncles mm-hmm. who are all white but are doing good things. So uh, it's really hard mm-hmm. for them to go to school and hear white people this and then come home and say, mommy, mm-hmm. what am I hearing that white people are racist? And to sit down and be like, but I'm not racist. I'm, mm-hmm. you know. And, and also for my wife to learn to be like, that's why I married your dad. And be like, okay, you don't want to say that either. <laughs> not that she said that, mm-hmm. you know, but to be like, I'm not racist. I married your dad, mm-hmm. you know, and to kind of maneuver through that, mm-hmm. I think. And I think, I think we, uh, We've been trying to, as they get older, and uh, like he said, we educate ourselves, but also, you know, I try to at least to do my best as far as um, race goes to expose them as much as I can through myself. Like, I don't just throw all my questions to Sam that have mm-hmm. to do with race. Like, oh, just ask your daddy. He's black. He knows, you know, or um, I don't want Samuel to be the only one who brings home books for them that might have to do with um, famous black people or things like that. Like I buy them books. I bring them home books that have to do with, you know, um, one of the books Michaela has is uh, all about like big hair, big, Mm -hmm. beautiful Mm -hmm. hair, you know, and big bows to go in her big, beautiful hair and, you know, things like that or, you know, and I, I, I don't know. I, I learned how to cornrow because I don't want it to be something that doesn't seem like, a white person can't do it or, you know, cause I want my kids to know that I support mm-hmm. that part of them and that I love that part of them. And it's, you know, yeah. I don't know. It, it's just, it, it is, it's, it's a strange kind of dance, mm-hmm. I guess it you is. can say of, of wanting them to, uh, like you said, I, I don't want, I, I do worry sometimes, you know, especially around MLK days or whatever. Black History um, Month. Yeah, know. Black History <laughs> Month of, of this, you know, I don't want them to, you know, learn about all this hatred that came out of, of uh, the, those times or even to this day, like we've found that, that it still happens. And um, I don't want them to see me and think like, you know, I'm sure there will come a time that they'll wrestle with with that of, you know, mommy's whiteness versus daddy's blackness and, you know, what that means. But I, I would hope that as they're growing up that they would see me advocate for uh, what Samuel goes through as 
as a black man and what my kids will go through as being mixed or being viewed as black. And, um, and I guess that's all I feel like I can do is just advocate and love and, you know, and also show them too, that I don't have all the answers and that's okay. And that there are safe places to go for those answers, like to, to daddy or, you know. So. And she does a good job on that. And I got to say, she, she's really good at that. <laughs> Thank you. I think I really wanted to cover this part of, um, you know, the subject of interracial relationships because it's so, you know, important. But I also know like so many of our listeners are students who are in relationships. Um, one of my closest friends uh, is from the Philippines and her boyfriend's white. Um and so a lot of the time, like, she'll be having those conversations of, like, I'm always trying to figure out, like, how are we going to raise our kids together? And, like, how do I, you know, encompass, like, my traditions from my culture and, like, also respect him and his? And, like, it is, like you said, such a dance of, like, kind of pushing and pulling and figuring out, um, you know, how to respect and embrace, like, all aspects that your kids are made up of. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of already talked about, you know, the challenges you guys have faced, but I want to ask you guys, what um, has been the most valuable thing that you have taken away thus far um, (laughs) from your relationship? I would say I've learned a lot about uh, assumptions. Mm. I've learned, you know, Samuel and I have had to come to a place where Basically, we don't assume anything except for the best in our spouse and what they what they might mean mm. or what their intentions might be. I think we had a rough several first years of our marriage because we would almost always assume, you know, he would say something or I would say something and it, we would take offense to it automatically. Mm. And we came to a place where we had to learn assume the best, assume that when I ask you about something, especially if it might have to do touch on cultural issues or or anything like that, Mm. um, assume that my heart is, I want to learn, or I understand that I might not understand, (laughs) um, assume the best and, and nothing else, you know, uh, don't assume that I'm being racist, even if my question comes off horribly racist because <laughs> it's so happened, <laughs> you know, it's, it's happened a lot in our conversations, you know, especially the last year or two with so much going on with racial issues, racial divides with, um, the police, with black lives matter with, uh, and then with politics, with Trump and, you know, just all the things, uh, there's so much that I've wanted to understand about what his point of view is. Um, and not that he speaks for all black people just because he's black, but he's my go-to. He's my, my compass when it comes to trying to understand this or that. And he knows that when I, he knows now that when I ask certain questions, you know, I don't necessarily have to preface it. Most of the time I do (laughs) like, this is might come off racist, <laughs> but I love you. And I just want to understand, you know, and, and, and I need to understand that, you know, I, I might come off racist, but 
you know, I'm trying. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so I think that's the biggest takeaway that we are coming to, and at least with our relationship where it's at right now, um, is he has to assume that I, I love him and that I am just coming from a point of view of, of, I know, I don't know. And I'm trying to know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think, I guess in the same, in the same vein, some, some of the there's so many good things like that that's out of this interracial our marriage anyways and I, I can't speak for every other interracial couple out there but makes me a better person in a sense that I'm constantly trying to find ways to learn things so I can like, like you said, I am not a spokesperson, spokesperson for black people, right? Um, and, and for me, I, I need to first realize that I'm also learning this whole racial, um, racial, I guess, dynamics going on in America right now because I am not an African-American, right? So when I, when I speak of the, the trauma that came out of slavery— I'm speaking as an outsider looking in because my ancestors didn't go through slavery, right? Uh, my ancestors went through colonization by doing living in their home country, right? That's a big difference. So uh, I need to be able to check myself when I'm speaking, either you know, to her or to the case that I make it very clear that I am not speaking for African American because I'm also still learning about the, the plight of the African-American man, right? Now, I get lumped in there because of my skin color, right? Until I open my mouth and you hear, okay, he has an accent. He wasn't born here. He's not from here. Uh, but when you see me on the street, you know, when, when you know, I used to live, we both used to live in Glendora, one of the whitest neighborhoods in, 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 in Southern California. And walking down the street and people crossing the street to walk the other way and, and all that, it, it brought me back to I need to learn and I need to I need to study on how I can have this kind of conversation. And, and, and you know, there were many times when I first got this job um, seven years ago, and my, some of my students will come and talk to me about what they're going through. And they will make statements like, you know, why are people like this and why are people like that? And I almost I almost go like, like, look behind me. Come on. Before you, there's a picture behind me, you know, there's a woman on my arm behind me, You're like, you know, learn. It, so that's, that's for me how I, like, I need to learn to not generalize when I speak on, on, the, on this issue of race, on this issue of culture, right? Um, and I also feel like we got the best of each culture, right? Because... She's bringing, like she said, I'm assuming she's bringing the best of, of the Colorado culture that she has. And I'm bringing the best of the Ghanaian culture that I have. Now, there's some flaws in that that may surface. But at the end of the day, I think we have the best. And to be honest, that can get transferred over to our kids. So I feel like our kids are benefiting. Not that if you have two same race couple then they're not giving getting the best but i feel like my kids are getting the best of both worlds you know that's how this concept of tck's came about third culture kid so although my kids never really left 
the country, I consider them a third culture kid in a way that they may not have a full grasp of blackness and a full grasp of whiteness, but they can create their own third culture where they feel comfortable and they can still thrive in that space for them. So, I mean, the benefit is just so many, so many of it. And in education, being at the top one for mm. me. So, Thank you. Um, we're going to wrap up. Before we do, um, can you guys give just one piece of advice um, to others who are navigating, um, you know, an interracial relationship right now? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would kind of go back to what I was talking about of not assuming anything, um, but also don't don't stop learning and don't don't think that just because you have all the conversations before you get married or, you know, you check all the boxes of, you know, we talked about finances, we talked about this or that. Don't assume that you're, you're good to go. Like, you know, I think I was reflecting on the drive here that, um, I don't ever want someone to come to like Samuel and I and ask questions about interracial marriage or whatever, assuming that we, we got it, that we're good. We know, we know what we're doing. Like, this is not (laughs) memoirs of Samuel and Chris's marriage. This is like musings of something we're still figuring out, (laughs) you know, and, and as the world changes, that'll change. As our kids get older, that'll change. As we mature in our relationship, it'll change. But, um, I would just say remain open, remain uh, fluid to how things, uh, what's the word, (laughs) how things progress, you know, like we talked and talked and talked for hours before we got married and we thought we were good. We thought we had it figured out and then life happened, you know, we got married and real life situations came up and we had to stop and say, is this a cultural difference? Is this a personality difference? And even and even if we identify if it's a cultural or personality or whatever, or male versus a female, you know, does that matter in this in this circumstance? Like either way, we're we're going to get through this, and we're going to figure that out and figure out what compromise means for this situation. So, uh, yeah, don't 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 assume you've got it. Don't assume anything about your partner, and create your relationship to be a safe, safe place. Mm -hmm. Like if you can't ask the hard questions to your partner, you probably can't ask them anywhere. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like if that, if your relationship is not that, then, you know, then, then you need to get, get to that, Mm -hmm. that place and, and know your, your spouse or your partner knows it means, means the best. They mean, they mean well. (laughs) Well, that's a solid advice. That's a really good advice. My advice to, um, I don't want to say young people out there, but anyone in, in, you know, any type of inter, whatever, interracial, interculture, international, uh, whatever. My my advice to you is have fun. Have fun. Uh, create your own culture. Mm-hmm. Create your own traditions. Um, don't feel like you're stuck 
to choose one or the other, mm-hmm. right? And for us, I think that was one of the hardest things we had to learn, you know, in the beginning, because she came from a family where Christmas, no matter where you are, you come home for Christmas. And I'm like, I'm not going anywhere for Christmas. It's my one break, and I want to stay put, you know? And we had to learn that, okay, we, how can we create our own tradition around the holidays? So create your own traditions. You know, uh, I remember when we first moved to America, my mom my mom and my dad sat us down and said, we're not raising you to be American. We're not raising you to be Ghanaian. We're raising you to be Christian. You know, so for, for the Christians out there, make sure that um, you create your own tradition and you put God in there. Uh, make sure that God is the center of your relationship. You know, you might be interracial, you might come from different races, different cultures, but at the end of the day, you belong to the same Christian race. And and I I am a big proponent of, you know, connectedness and rela- relatability and such two of my top strengths is find connection, find the similarities in things. And if you can find your foundation in Christ, if you can find your foundations in God, I think that will see through many of the things, you know, um, maybe not all because you can't, you can't be a Christian and racist. Right. Um, so search through your heart and, 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 and put God at the, at the head of the table in your, in your relationship. So that's my advice. Have fun, create your own tradition and don't listen to people, people who don't know the two of you, you know, cause they may mean well, but, you know, and if you're married, get rid of the third people in your marriage, family and friends and and other people who are not in not in a marriage with you. They don't. They may mean well, but they may not lead you to the right way. So yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you both so much for sitting down with me and having this conversation and being our first uh, guest back, our first <laughs> episode back to kick <laughs> us off. Um, like I said before, I think this conversation, I say this, I mean, I think all of the conversations we have are important, (laughs) but I think this conversation is relevant, uh, so relevant and significant because, you know, the way we progress into the future, we're going to be, um, intermixing with more cultures and meeting new people from different backgrounds. So being able to have conversations like this, where we talk about what it looks like to navigate that relationship and how to handle the good, the bad, and the ugly, all those things is so important. Um, So thank you both. Um, Before we go, this is usually the time we do self-promo if you guys want to promo anything (laughs) about yourself. Um, Uh, I don't know. I don't have anything. Um, We go to All People's Church, so check us out, All People's Church. Um, It's a really, um, if you know me and you know my background in being diversity and inclusion, I think All People's is awesome. And my siblings and I also have a podcast we're doing called Confessions of a PK. Yes. Uh, check it out. Um, it's, it comes out every other week on Thursday. So actually, you listen to this on Monday. So this coming Thursday, check it out. Pastors of a PK on uh, Spotify and Apple. Confessions and- of a PK. What did I say? You said pastors of a <laughs> Pastors of a PK, is that what I said? Yeah. It's been a long day. Confessions of a PK. All right. Uh, so, yeah, uh, anything you want to plug, babe? <laughs> no. I don't By the way, plug for myself. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, mom, so most of you heard my wife refer to me as Samuel and Bella referred to me as Sam. That's one of the things. My wife hates. 
shortened name. So she always calls me Samuel. There's only two people in this world that calls me Samuel. I think it's my wife, uh, maybe your mom too. So it's three people that call me that. And one of my students, Sabrina, she always calls me Samuel. She never calls me Sam. That's funny. Yeah, that's the only thing we have to plug. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much. Um, And thank you to our listeners. Um, We're so excited to give you a whole new array of episodes this coming semester. We have a great lineup of topics and guests. Um, But yeah, thank you guys. And such a good conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Bella. Thank you for listening to our podcast and for supporting us. And stay tuned for when we come back in two weeks as we invite Dr. Jeffrey Carr, Chief Diversity Officer and Associate Vice President of Student Development, and Tariq Bakar, Secretary of Black Student Union, on to speak about Black Lives Matter from the perspective of Black men in America. Until then, be sure to stay safe, and we will see you soon. Take care. This podcast would not be made possible without the Office of Multicultural and International Student Services at Point Loma Nazarene University. It was executively produced by Bella Passi and Sam Quipong. It was written by Fernanda Viana and Bella Passi. Research was done by Fernanda Viana. It was filmed by Kevin Langley from the Media Services Department of Point Loma Nazarene University. Edited by Bella Passi. <laughs>